Mark chapter 10, we'll read verse 28 through verse 30. The Bible says, And Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left a house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake in the Gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. I want you to consider tonight that little phrase, in this life. Now, Peter, go with me to Matthew 19, the parallel text, verse 27. They've just seen uh, the encounter here with the rich young ruler. He turns away sad. He's not willing to give up his riches, but we know that's not the purpose of the story. The purpose was for him to come to the realization that he had broken the law and was in need of a savior. But anyways, he leaves sad, and then Peter comes up with this question, verse 27, then answered Peter and said to him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. Now look at the next phrase. What shall we have therefore? Now, I know everyone here is spiritual. Everything you do for God is love. Your motivation, your one and only motivation is love for God. Nothing else matters. Uh, heaven's a distant thought. Rewards on the earth, not even desired. And there's just a touch of sarcasm there. Because we all have a human nature. And at the end of the day, we've all thought, Lord, not that we argue, but Lord, if I'm serving you and I'm living for you and I'm doing right, do I really have to deal with this? Or God, you you think that I could have a nicer car or better income or a better earthly reward? And Peter was no different. When Peter said, we have left all to follow thee, he said that in truth and sincerity. We do remember he's out there fishing on the lake and uh, they've caught nothing. You know the story. You know the miracle. Christ told him to launch out to the deep. Let down your nets for a draught. They did. Their nets were filled. Their boats began to sink. They got the help of a neighboring boat. So when they came back to shore, they were overjoyed by the miraculous power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were overwhelmed by the fact that this was the Messiah. So following Christ had been an amazing experience. Up to this point, you're talking about seeing the dead raised to life. Whether it's the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the sick, uh, blind Bartimaeus in this chapter, the casting out of the demons. They had seen all of that. What an amazing experience. But at the end of the day, Peter said, Lord, we're still broke. Things are not financially looking good for us. So what does this mean for us? What shall we have? And you do understand they were thinking in fleshly terms. They were thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ setting up an earthly kingdom. So if they were looking at the possibility of ruling and reigning, obviously he's thinking in material terms. Something visible, something earthly, something tangible. How many of you say, I'm there occasionally? Am I the only one? Now here's what the bottom line is. We all know that God is generous. But he thinks in different terms than we do. He thinks in the eternal. We think in the earthly, the temporal. 
And I want you to consider three simple thoughts tonight. And because I am in a hurry to get home and go to bed. And some of you are in a hurry as well. Number one, I want you to think about privilege. We are the most privileged people on the planet. It, just the fact that you're in church, just the fact you are sitting in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, you teach in a Sunday school class, you work in any ministry, you're, you're out there on a bus route, we're privileged. I, I'm not talking about just the pulpit, I'm not talking about the musicians or the choir members or the choir director, I'm not talking about the assistant pastors, I'm talking about anybody that has been saved and God is allowed to participate in ministry Whatever level that is, that is a privilege to think that God, knowing who we are, and says, I'm, I'm going to put my spirit of God in you and empower you, and you get to go out with the gospel and see lives transformed. I, I think maybe we just need reminded that just the life we are living is privileged. Whatever you do for God, the fact that it has any eternal impact. That these young people, if they get hired by a nationally known company, they, they feel pretty good about themselves. And the salary and whatever it is that comes with that, you know, they're suddenly gleaming. The young people, I'm going to tell you the secret. The fact that the God of the universe, knowing who we are, knowing the mistakes we're going to make tomorrow, knowing our thoughts, knowing our limitations, knowing our failures, says, I'm going to include you in my great plan. And I'm going to let you minister to people and have an eternal impact on the lives of men. That's a privilege. Now, you consider these 12, we'd consider it an even greater privilege. We're talking about God in the flesh. Okay, he was only on the earth for 33 years. He only ministered for three. They were there for all three and a half years. Except for those few private moments where he took Peter, James, and John, the 12 were there to hear every message, to, to listen to every life lesson, to see Christ is he dealt with every single different challenge and temptation and problem. They, they learned so much outside of the preaching sessions that others didn't get to see and others didn't get to witness and others didn't get to learn from. This is an extreme privilege. And Christians, here's what we need to understand. When we begin to think there for just a moment, and Lord, what shall I have? Well, you have the privilege that they didn't have in the Old Testament. You have the privilege of the indwelling Spirit of God that empowers you to do His divine work. You have the power of the gospel because you've got in your hands the written Word of God. And you go to any New Testament book and take someone through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got an extreme privilege. Now let me ask you this. If you were the God of the universe, would you look down from heaven and say, I'm going to use you? Would you do that? Eight, eight billion people on the planet? And, and you have a company and you hire people and you say, I just can't find anybody that's worthy of this $14, $14 an hour, this position. 
And God says, I'm having you work with people and wives and, and that God would even allow us on this platform, that God would allow us to open up this book and teach his word, that God would allow us to sing or knock on a door or, or God would allow us and trust us with the gospel. How is that gone? How is that gone this week? God said, I'm, I'm trusting you with the, my life, my death, my resurrection, I'm trusting you to deliver that news. We're privileged. So when he said, what, what should we have? Um, well, you have a privileged life. That's about as big of a benefit as you could possibly ask for. But let's talk about the re- reward for a minute. Go with me to Luke 18. Another parallel text here. Luke 18, verse 30. 29, there is no man that hath left house for parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive, now mark the next two words, manifold more in this present time. Now, here's, here's the promise. God has promised to, to bless, and I know it's a privilege, but there is a blessing that God has promised to those that make a sacrifice, and God blesses according to this passage. He's going to bless according to our level of sacrifice. That's right, Amen. Church, here's, here's what I want to make clear. You can study Scripture, but the best thing is to do not to point back thousands of years ago to Noah. We're not talking about a hobby, but a command from God, go build a boat. 120 years of your life is going to be involved around building a boat. And the blessings that came from that, and the blessings Abraham or Joseph or Moses or whoever you want to point out in Scripture, there was a earthly, physical, visible reward for their obedience and their sacrifice. And church, here's what happens. We want those rewards. Now, we're not talking about putting those things on an altar. We're talking about simply handing them over to God and say, God, I want you to know as far as it goes my my possessions my house my car it's all for your honor and glory we've said this before what whatever you hold on to in life anything that's material in possession here's how we tend to hold things and here's how the bible teaches us to hold things thank you father and never close that hand never tighten our grip and never turn and say thank god this is mine no if he gave it he he's welcome at any point to take it back this is his but in life we all have to have the philosophy not that we all do but we all are commanded to have the philosophy that my family is his and my career is his and my time is his my energy my health my income whatever it is lord you know what, this will help you go into the missions conference. If you put everything on the altar, the missions conference is not a concern. Right. Missions conference doesn't get your blood pressure high. You say, God, I just want to get on the same page. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever you want to do through us and through my family, you know, however you want us to be a blessing, a help and encouragement, however much time you want us to pray, whoever you want us to pray for. God, that's not an issue. Can you imagine if Christianity was truly... We're talking about in general, the percentages were high and you walked into the average church and you just said, these are people that have given everything in their life over, back over to God. Where we said, we have left all 
You didn't abandon your house. You just said, God, this house is for your honor and glory. If you want a missionary to stay here, you want me to host someone? Whatever you want me to use it for? We laugh around our house because we supposedly have an extra car. We never see it. We're always hosting someone. Someone always has it. We never know which one it is. You just grab whatever keys you find on the way out and someone else is going to have another vehicle. It doesn't matter because that, that, those vehicles are God's anyways. The purpose of those vehicles is for the honor and the glory of God. So whatever God has given me, now here's what God said. For, for that person, and let, let me ask you this. We're supposed to take the Bible literally. So for the man that got called to preach and he had a hundred acre farm, so God's going to give him a hundred, a hundred acre farms? Thank you, Debbie. No, that's not, that's not that you're going to wake up the next day and people are just going to be knocking on the door. Hey, we got another farm we want to give you. When, but we do understand this. The family that I have left, God has given me a greater family, Spanish-speaking, English-speaking, Filipinos, Cubans, Venezuelans, Colombians, Argentines. I don't care where you go, you find the family of God, and you find brethren in Christ, and you find a, a friendship that is closer than any family relationship. And it's, some of you are fearful to turn over your mother-in-law to God because you might receive a hundredfold. <laughs> Lord, I can't handle that. That'd be the one case when God actually gave me a hundredfold, and that would be trouble. Not spiritual enough to handle that. The bottom line is we do understand that on this earth, there are physical, visible rewards. This is where... Christians truly, it's not a mental block, it's literally an act of disbelief. Because if you truly believed it, there wouldn't be anything you'd withhold from God. I am convinced I've had several cars given to me, but my wife and I have given away four or five vehicles. Here's what I believe. I don't give away a vehicle saying, God, you owe me one. You owe me ten. Here's what I do know. If that's something God asked me to do, it's because he has a blessing in mind down the road. We laugh. We get with other missionaries. I travel around the world uh, and see other missionaries. And I've met real missionaries. I've Malawi and Uganda and Philippines, wherever it is, uh, China. We've been to these places, Nicaragua, where those are real missionaries in real circumstances and making real sacrifices. But folks, I lived in Argentina. Hate to break the bad news, our first church outing, we show up on a Monday, on Saturday they have a church outing, they sit us down, and they bring by steak, and then we eat, waiting for the mashed potatoes, and then they bring us more steak, and I'm like, okay, where's the mashed potatoes, and then they bring us more steak, and I looked over the preacher and said, oh, that's what we do here in Argentina, we just eat steak. Yeah. <laughs> Four and a half years, guys. Paved streets, modern house. Cheap steak. It was. Then we went to Mexico, but things got worse. Starbucks, Sam's, Walmart, in Mexico. <laughs> Amazing food, 
So when I get around with these missionaries talk about their suffering for Jesus, I just kind of quietly disappear in the conversation because I don't want them to ask me any questions about how much we gave up or what we suffered for the cause of Christ. You guys do understand what I'm saying, but here's, here's what I want you to know. There's, there isn't anything in life that we ever sacrificed that God with time didn't give us a hundredfold. Not that we're looking for something earthly because at the end of the day, our reward is in heaven. But Christian, here's what we have to understand. There are Christians that are angry with God. They, don't, they want God to give. And then I might you know, do something with what you give me. And God said, no. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reward your level of sacrifice. And here's what's so strange to me, church. I'm going to be honest. As much as Cap City Baptist does, there is a very limited amount of Christians in 2022 that understand this principle that what you do for God is rewarded in the afterlife. But God said, in this time, I'm not living a bad life, folks. And someone asked me the other day, Pastor, you were in different, uh, several years ago. Pastor, you always wear the same old black shoes. Because I like them, they're comfortable. When you get my age, you're not looking for fancy, you're just looking for comfort. But last year I was given seven parachutes. I'm not talking about cheap ones. High dollar, high end shoes. Seven pair, I, I almost opened my closet with shame. We've bought shoes. I've never given away shoes so I could get shoes in return. I have more suits in my closet than I've ever had. I've been given more suits in the past 12 months than I've ever been given. I didn't give away suits thinking, well, if I give away two, maybe I'll get four. But you do understand there is a principle here that in, I'm not Pentecostal. I'm glad that somebody's excited that I'm not Pentecostal. (laughs) I wish my church was more Pentecostal. Amen. Get a little more involvement. Get some of you to crack a smile at some point during the service. Are you following me tonight? I, I truly believe that we as Christians, we live fearful. If, if I do anything, if I, if I give this over, if I give this up to God, God's going to leave me hanging. That's not the way God operates. And here's what he said. In this light, there is earthly reward, tangible reward, hundredfold reward. Look what it says, verse 29. Jesus answered and said, Verily I send you. There's no man that had left house now. Let me ask you this. He's talking about rewarding sacrifice. Most American Christians are doing everything within their power to avoid sacrifice. Most. Anybody here left house? We left our house to move from Austin to Argentina, but we knew we were going to have a house. Not like the disciples. What did Christ say? Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have. What did, that's when, when he left. We're talking to these disciples following the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't know where they were going to stay from day to day. They left house, brethren, Sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands. Now, here's the motivation. What is the motivation? For my sake and for the gospels. So whatever we're doing, whatever sacrifice we're making, here is the motivating factor. This is all about the gospel 
This is all about Christ's sake. Last year, when we were on that plane to Malawi, I don't care where I've been, there is no flight as miserable as that. No airplane worse, no airlines worse, no seats more worn out. There are more demon-possessed children on those flights. Robert, am I making that? I mean, we had, we had one of those flights where for hours that little demon was kicking the back of our chair. Hour, while he was screaming. You say, well, you don't have noise-canceling headphones. Yes, they don't work when the child is demon-possessed. <laughs> they don't cover that kind of noise. I'm sitting there trying to be in the spirit because I've got to preach every day and be a blessing to pastors and run a conference. And I'm thinking, Robert's on this plane. He's watching. <laughs> Ben's on this plane. He's watching. Our neighbor's on this plane. We witness to him. And there is Dr. Williams. What's he doing, Robert? We're talking about 88 years old with a bad back and bad legs and He's walking around seat by seat in the middle of the night, waking people up. Sir, has anybody ever told you about the Lord Jesus Christ and how you can get to heaven? Sir, how about you? Hey, can you wake up your neighbor for me? Sir, sorry to wake you up. Has anybody ever told you about the Lord Jesus Christ and how to get to heaven? I am not joking. And when he's done with this row, he goes to the next row. Then he goes to the next row. Then he's going to make over my row, and i got to put on my happy face like I'm having a good time with the smell of curry, and Dr. Williams walking around ready to witness to me. You, you know what you have? You, you have someone who's saying, I'm jumping on that plane for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to Malawi. His, his wife, from the, from the ride and the cost, and then they're saving up all year. You know what they did? They bought several motor, motorcycles for those pastors to be able to get out there in the villages. He helped with several projects. I'm not talking about, he didn't pastor a church. I'm not talking about church money. I'm talking about out of his pocket, out of his limited savings, uh, that they had, over the course of a year, planned and prepared to give. You know what that's about? For the sake of the gospel and for... Christ's sake, because at the end of the day, here's what he believes. My God is a hundredfold God. Otherwise, there's no reason to be on that plane. There, there's no reason to make that trip. There's no reason to endure Malawi unless you believe what God is saying here. Look what he says. But he shall receive a hundredfold. I like those words. I'm pretty happy about that. I don't need a perfect life. But how many, how many of you are not spiritual enough to appreciate that phrase? Am I the only one not spiritual enough that I actually enjoy the phrase now in this time? Say, Thank God for that. I, I like some blessings in this time. Now, if you're happy with poverty and giving yourself into poverty and working yourself to the bone and never seeing the smile of God, you know what? You know what we have in Christianity? Literally, there is a selfish vein in all of us that can only be conquered by the belief that there is a God in heaven that knows and sees and cares, as was preached last week, but individually says, I will reward what you are doing for my name's sake. And part of that is an earthly reward. Look what he says. He should receive now. In this time, houses, 
You know something ladies need to do? You need to talk to your husband. Get married and then talk to your husband. <laughs> we got to find that man, don't we, Debbie? Houses, brethren, sisters, mothers. Here's what we need to see. What's that, what's that last phrase say? With persecutions. Now, there are three things here. Number one, there is a earthly reward that is promised with sacrifice for his name's sake and the gospel's sake. There is an eternal reward because it says with persecutions and in the world. He said, listen, there's, there's double reward here. In this life, now in this time, but in the world to come, you've got eternal life as well. Look what, look what it says. Go back to Matthew 19. This is why you always want to compare the Gospels because there's always additional information in each one that is a parallel text. Look what it says, Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said, I say that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of God man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He looked at these twelve and said, you'll be judging on those seats, those thrones, the twelve tribes. Speaking of a millennial period here of a thousand years. Now here's what I believe Christ was saying. You disciples are going to have earthly rewards that no one else is going to enjoy. You're going to be able to do things with Christ and after Christ and on your missionary endeavors and your pastoring there at the church of Jerusalem. You're going to have blessings because of what you sacrificed. But then he said, there's a millennial period and you're going to be sitting on thrones and then there's his eternal kingdom and you can enjoy all the benefits of salvation for all eternity. Not just that you're escaping hell. You get to heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ and all the glories of heaven. That's pretty unbelievable. Now here's what is truly unbelievable. Church, can I get your focus here? Because this is a devotional to make one point. I'm about ready to make it. Average Christian did not believe this. I'm talking about the best of the best. I'm talking about Cap City. We don't believe this. If we believe, if we truly believe what God does on our behalf, none of it would be an issue. If we truly believed there's a millennial kingdom and we're going to be made to rule and reign with Christ, and that is going to be based upon our Christian service during our lifetime, that should not be your basis of motivation. Your basis for motivation ought to be love for the Lord. But you ought to say, just the fact that he saved me and I have all of eternity, what is a sacrifice here and now when I have all of eternity? If we truly believed that, you know what we'd have? Biographies being written every time another Christian died. That was an astounding life. What a high impact. Sold out, living for Jesus. Maybe we don't believe as much scripture as we think we believe. Here's the part of the verse that we believe. Two words. What's it say? Verse 30. He shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, house of brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecution. Ah, pastor, I believe. You would not believe what I've tried to endure. I mean, I just tell people I'm a Christian and suddenly they don't want to talk to me. How many of you agree with me? This is the most believed phrase in these three verses. With persecution. Pastor, if I get sold out for Jesus, I don't think I'm prepared to deal with the persecution. And that's the truth. I mean, if, if you want to do a depressing study, 
go to Google and type in martyrdom of the disciples, the apostles. I'm beheaded, crucified upside down, stoned, boiled in oil. Yeah, it was all brutal. Flayed. Yeah, it came with persecution. It came with last minute, it came with persecution. You're probably not going to be flayed. You're probably not going to be boiled in oil. I'd say there's like a 99.99% chance you're going to escape that. They didn't. But they still said, even with persecutions, that the reward is still for his name's sake, for the gospel's sake. When you just get sold out. Now, that's the reward. Now, let's go back to Mark 10 and we're done. Let's look at one other word. First, 32, they were in the way going to Jerusalem. Jesus went before them and they were amazed and they followed. They were afraid. He took in the 12 and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered to the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and scourge him and spit upon him and kill him. And the third day he'll rise again. The disciples, we do understand, did not comprehend this still, although he repeated this message over this period of months in his ministry. But I want to talk for two seconds about one more word, responsibility. So church, they're trying to grasp, okay, this is what he's going to do for us. This is the sacrifice he's about ready to make. He's going to go to Calvary. There's no preacher that can do justice. There's no movie that can do justice to what took place on Calvary. You've been a Christian for a long time. You know the story. You've read it. You've seen the movie. You've meditated upon it. You've taken communion. You've gone through all the steps to truly wrap your mind around what Jesus did for you, and you can't. And you catch glimpses of it, small glimpses, at moments in life, and maybe an eloquent preacher, or maybe the Holy Spirit of God, or maybe reading the Scripture gets your attention, and you say, I can't fathom the sacrifice and the pain and what he did to redeem my soul. And for that moment, you catch a little bit of gratitude. And what's your thought? For the moment, doesn't last long, but what's your thought for the moment? I really owe him a lot. But you know what that's called? Fleeting moments. They're fleeting. And I've been around for 51 years, and I grew up in church, got saved as a kid. And I have listened to some of the best preachers on the planet, and I've, I've... throwing myself in the altar, and I've memorized the scripture, and I've meditated on the thought. But I'll be honest with you, church. If you took all the moments over the past 51 years where I truly meditated enough to be filled for a moment with that gratitude where I said, God, I don't deserve any of this, but I owe you my life. I owe you my breath. I owe you my being. And then I go home and I have a coffee and go to sleep. Forget about it. What should we have? Well, you know what we have? Privilege. You know what we have? Reward. It's it's here and it's the next life and it's just, it's forever at this point. But we have responsibility. You know what we have? 
we ought to have an overwhelming sense of responsibility that says, I owe him, whatever I have, I owe it to him. Otherwise, I'd be headed to hell. So, so what am I holding on to so tightly? I sat down yesterday. From Sunday, we went out with a few couples in our church. I'm so thankful that my daughters are sitting at the table. They're adults. They can deal with the conversation. They get to hear the stories of people, Cuba, Nicaragua, El Salvador, what they lived and then what they had to live to get here. And know your pastor not in favor of illegal immigration, and I believe we have an absolute disaster in politicians that don't want to fix. Either side, any side, not don't want to fix. But what is happening is an absolute disaster. But you listen to these stories, and I've, I've, I willfully bring my children in to hear their stories. 30 days of some of the most horrific things that a human can endure. And Sunday's story was a mother with two kids, one a baby that she carried and nursed through all of that. And last night we sat and listened to another story. And most would want it to be like a TV where you could hit a button and turn it off because it's too horrific to listen to. It'll turn you inside out and upside down. You know what those moments do? They help you to understand that God smiled on you for some reason. And God smiled on you. What should we have? You have a Bible. You have a church. You have health. You have God's hand. You have amazing parents. You've got a Sunday school teacher. You've got... And then on top of that, even if everything went south from this moment on in your life, you've got heaven. What do we have? We have everything. So the real question is, why are we holding on to something saying, God, you can't have that? 